So we're not just selling cannabis, we're selling a lifestyle. We consider ourselves the next generation of retail. So I would say I would open two more stores um, um, and uh, we would, you know, build a very robust uh, delivery business. Um, we're also talking to um, concert promoters um, where uh, we, uh, if they're interested in making us the only um, company that sells those uh, products at those, um, which Great is a, a big business, um, you know, and we're, 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 you know, we're even working with now designers um, and others who are interested in creating things that are only going to be at our store, you know, and these collabs will only be at our store, you know, so I think all of that combined really can build into something very unique. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Joanne Wilson is an early-stage angel investor, entrepreneur, and philanthropist with over 150 companies in her investment portfolio, such as Food52 and Eater. Her latest venture, though, Gotham, is a female-founded cannabis concept space that curates and shares one-of-a-kind products, art, and experiences that reflect New York's rich history and influence. She is also the chairperson of Hot Bread Kitchen and currently sits on the board of the Highline, and the Public Housing Community Fund in New York City. You know, it's a tough one. My, I mean, I've, I've interviewed so many entrepreneurs over the years, and the reality is the majority of them come from entrepreneurial families or have a grandfather or a father or a mother, someone, right? So my entire family was entrepreneurial. My mother was a serious entrepreneur. My father was too, but, the re, but my parents were very particularly my father was a narcissist. And so, you know, and he was, and still, I mean, he's still alive, extremely smart. I mean, like men's stuff, which is, we all laugh about my brother and I particularly, and sometimes my sister, which is like, well, at least we got that. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, I think that they wasted a lot of shit on me as a young child, because I was one of those kids who were like, I had the lemonade stand at four and I could take care of everyone. And so I think early on, and my father was this dreamer, you know, and my mother, if she was born today, would have been a completely different human being. And so I think I saw all of his inability to execute and be successful. And I wasn't able to process it at that young age, but I do think that sort of created this, thing inside me to like climb every mountain that kind of came in front of me, you know, to the point where when you get to a certain age, like Jesus Christ, I got to stop climbing all these mountains and why the hell do I do this? Right. But that's okay. I mean, that was really probably the impetus of why I have had success. Curiously, it's really interesting and, and, and being so candid and frank and coming from a similar background, my father's passed away, but he was an entrepreneur and just like a hustler, hardworking, but you know, there was that kind of, uh, his voice was the voice in the house. And, and my mother who was really bright, 
she didn't have those opportunities. And, and I'm curious with you and seeing your dad in this way. And then, like you said, your mom would, would be a completely different human being now. Your drive, where does that come from anywhere? And I could be totally off, so you tell me, but like from seeing what she was able to or to do or maybe not able to do, and like your father had all these opportunities, does is is that part of where or am I yeah, totally maybe, off? I'm just like guessing. No, no, no. Listen, my parents <laughs> had a miserable divorce when I was 15 yeah. years old. And the the reverberations from that have continued today, you know? And so my mother started a business, started another business, built a really big business and sold it. But her whole persona for whatever reason was always like, everyone's greener on the other side of the fence. And the reality is she took lemons and made lemonade. And when she was younger, when she was, uh, you know, I was a really young kid, her father died. He was an entrepreneur too. And he had a couple shoe stores and gave them to her brother, who was a completely incompetent human being, killed all the stores in two years, you know, and I'm sure my mother would have created a chain. And so, you know, those were the times. That's what you did. My father, I just think he's a very incapable lost soul. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's sad, but I mean, when you think about it and families and just entrepreneurs I talk to and even personally where drive comes from and desire a lot of times it it's from that right and from those from those early days and for you personally having to deal with I'm sure like you said it's still you're still dealing with it a really hard divorce but uh and, and growing up and 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 now in terms of we're back earlier any of that play an impact in in you becoming an entrepreneur, you wanting to really like set your mark? Yeah, I mean, I mean, life is funny. You know, the older I get, right? You just you I didn't have any visions of what I was supposed to do, right? I've always been just an executor. The only thing that I really cared about was I really wanted to be a different kind of parent to our children. When who knows, they're going to grow up perhaps one day and have the children and go, oh my God, I do want to do what my mother did, right? That's what happens. But I started out my first job and at a college. I mean, I worked three jobs in high school. I was much more interested in working in schoolwork ever is that, you know, I was a buyer at Macy's and it was a time in Macy's where like, that was a great job to have. And it was an amazing opportunity. And I learned so much about business by myself because it was sink or swim. And um, when Campo came into the markets and the entire industry changed, I'm like, I'm out of here. Some guy said to me, literally, women don't move as fast as men do in this company. And that was the end. And that quitting of that job was, whoa, I've been here like almost four years. I was a buyer really quickly than anyone else. And I was like, "Mm." and then I left. And then once I quit, it's really funny how you can just keep quitting and moving down the line. And so I've had a really interesting career. I mean, I've had like 18 different careers and uh, all the dots kind of connect as that always works out. And I really think what I'm doing now, it's sort of like a culmination of everything that I've ever done. I want to talk about what you're doing now, but I want to go back first to discuss kind of that coming out of Macy's, right? Four years. When was it when you had your first experience 
becoming an entrepreneur, not post Macy's and, and how did it come about? Yeah. I mean, the first thing I did as I went into sales, what really happened, I guess, I mean, I've always been entrepreneurial. And so I ended up working for this guy in the garment center who was a schmata guy. His, you know, his, <laughs> his, his, his father-in-law was like Jewish mafia, right? <laughs> right. His wife was dumb as a post. You know, in Long Island. <laughs> I am and, laughing too, because my dad had a bit, uh, trimming company. Like that's what, and he's the yeah. least stylish dude you've ever met. And, but that was his business for like 45 years. And <laughs> I, that's how I learned. I, I, he'd have this case he'd carry around, go from door to door, 1411 Broadway. Yeah, I was in 1411, 1411 and 1407. That's when I like, that's how I learned how to cold call. But anyway, so you were. Yeah, so I was in that and he was super happy to let me take over this company. And so when I joined him, he was in this tiny little office, like literally with this part-time designer and he was doing, I don't know, make a million dollars a year of revenue if. Right. And I came in, I was, I came in and I took over the company and with, and, and by the way, I got pregnant like three months in, he figured I was never coming back. I was like, you must be kidding, but we're going to write a new deal when I come back. So I rewrote an entire deal for me to make money. And, and I grew, he was only doing large size. And I was like, why are we only doing large size? We got into Missy petite and large and regular. And within I don't know, two and a half years, maybe it was, I built the business to a $15 million business. That's amazing. It's so <laughs> incredible to think. And it, it's just such so funny because knowing that world and seeing you come in and just taking over and building in, this guy must just be like, like dumb luck, like he that he found so you. happy. <laughs> I mean, in like, you know, classic garment center, like stuff yeah. like there were weeks where we'd have like the vice president of Dillard's in, you know? And he would like be so uncomfortable with this, like he wouldn't show up. But once, and so then on Friday afternoon, like when he'd finally come in, I'd open up my drawer and there'd be like thousands of dollars in it just to give me as a thank you, right? Classic garment center, right? <laughs> Classic. And so like I was making serious cash back then. And, you know, I was like 30 years old. And, um, but the best line was, we had these people in from Dillard's, these three vice presidents. And like, and I was from Macy's, right? When um, Reiner ran it, like yeah. and they'd all come down with their black and white suits. And so like, listen, like these guys are in front of me and there was a part of me, I was like, uh. and so he leans in and he whispers to me, he goes, you make more money than them. <laughs> and it was sort of like, Oh, <laughs> entire meeting. <laughs> it's so funny, but so true in so many cases when that happens. And so tell me, so obviously, and you sound so confident and, and, but at that time, and when you had that first opportunity, were, were you anxious? Were there, were there challenges? You know, it sounds great, right? Obviously coming in, taking this business, but you know, were there difficulties? Were there challenges you faced that you, you had to overcome? I hate to say this, but no. That's great. I mean, I'm literally, I think that part of my life, even when having children, I just did. I did, I did, I did. I climbed, I climbed. I mean, everything was fine. 
Everyone was there at time. Kids were fed. Clothing was bought. People that worked for me were happy. I mean, I just got everything done and I didn't think about anything. I mean, I don't think that I was that emotionally aware, but I just did it and it worked. Yeah. Head down. So what happens? That's it. What happens? You're, you're there, obviously you build this business into. Yeah. And he decides that I was making too much money. So I went and met with the mafia father. Like, you need to make less money. I'm like thinking, do you actually think that's going to work? So I left. And then I went to work for another company. And I was like, God. And I, they fired me. It's a long story. It's not even worth repeating. It was so ridiculous. And it was a bad culture fit. And my husband said to me, I want you to get on that subway and never return to that industry again. And, uh, and so that's what I did. And we moved to the suburbs for a short amount of time. We caught our time in purgatory. And um, yeah, I can't imagine. It's funny. It <laughs> growing up in the suburbs, yeah. I can't go it back. It wasn't for us. No. And we did it. And I stayed home for a couple of years. And then one day I was literally at a play date with all these mothers. And like all of a sudden I couldn't hear anything. I was like, and I thought, oh my God. And I went home and I said to my husband, I swear to God, if I had a gun in my bag, you would have read about me in the post. I would have killed them. <laughs> and so he's like, you know, I, I got to get back to work. And so he was just beginning to start um, out as a venture capitalist in, and, and saw the internet coming, um, which is what he got behind. And so I, um, he was like, you should really go talk with Jason Calacanis, who was running um, literally a 10 page magazine that was stapled together. And um, I joined Jason and freelance and I built his business too, to the point where it was bigger than him. This is the second time I've done this um, yeah. because by the way, I left the last guy a year later, his entire business went into the ground. And of course, so, I, I, I wasn't going to even at, but like yeah. <laughs> it, when you go back to that story and the greed, let's say this person's seeing, and it reminds me, someone told me a story recently and it was about these like, two super high level execs at a major entertainment company. And it really reminds me of that because one of them was like, look how much he's making now. And the other guy was like, who cares? Look how much he is making us. And I knew the minute that you told me that story that you were like biggest mistake of that guy's life. Like it it had like, I, I would imagine that because it's greed. And it's, it's, it's interesting how that came about. But in any case, so again, you go to work for someone. Build their business. Yeah. And you know, it was freelance. And, you know, I had two opportunities. We had two, I found two opportunities to sell his business. He didn't want to do it. I left. And then, you know, the internet imploded. So that was the end of that business. And so after that, I was like, you know what? I don't, I'm done. I've retired from helping men build businesses and, you know, being their number two, I'm going to be the number one. And so I really started blogging with this whole concept behind me, which is like, well, we'll see where this turns out, but at least it's mine. And I really think that opportunity to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to lose my connection to the tech community, but the reality is as much as the tech community left. And so the people that were reading me were brand new people in the industry. And then I started to talk to them. A lot of them were women. And I saw all these businesses being built because everything was becoming open source platforms. 
And um, it was just the time of massive change. You could do anything to renting a bridal dress, to creating a new cookie, or building a software so that CMOs don't have to work so hard. And so they were all women. And not that I didn't invest in men too, but I was like, wow, these women aren't getting funded. And what's going on on the other side of the table is insane. And the really the first investment I made was in Curb Media, which was Eater and Curbed and Racked. And I was reading this thing three times a day and I went to Lockhart and I was like, you know, I want to put money in this thing. And that was sort of the beginnings. And I loved it because I know how to build businesses and I'm happy to give advice. And so I really became a concierge, consigliere to all of these founders. And the majority of them, I gave them their first penny. And I still talk to most of them today. I mean, if anyone called me, I would talk to them in a heartbeat. Some did well, some didn't, but that's the name of the game. And, you know, and I was starting to see about four years ago, the industry really changing. As a generalist, it was becoming more difficult. And not only that is like the prices were extraordinary. And that's not how you make money as an angel or even a venture capitalist in early stage businesses. To invest in a company that's worth $20 million when they haven't even figured out if there's a product market fit makes no sense to me. And I've never been one who spends money randomly at different things. I've always been tight and scrappy. And so I was like, this business is getting stupid and it's going to go through a down round. And so I'm out. What am I going to do next? Um, And I really thought that was going to be my last frontier, but ended up it's not. (laughs) Exactly. So tell us now about, because I love the space that you're in right now. And obviously, having been an entrepreneur, now an entrepreneur again, and having invested in lots of entrepreneurs. And I love the fact that, as you talked about, like you gave a lot of people a lot of opportunities, their first pennies. And it, it's such an incredible thing to be able to do and then to mentor them, right? How did this new opportunity cannabis industry. Tell me about this and how this all came about. So I was cutting back, no more investing. I mean, certainly as we all know, investments are like, okay, goodbye. I mean, you know, I still sat on a lot of boards with helping (laughs) a lot of people. But um, you know, I was just really thinking like what comes to us. At one point I was like, "Mm, maybe I'll play golf. Okay. I don't know why I was thinking that, but I did. That didn't work out for me. And so what really happened was it was COVID hit. And during COVID, I was watching a bunch of stores that I enjoyed and also like the demise of Barney's and many other stores. And I've always wanted to open a retail store. I mean, at the end of the day, that was my first thing, you know, and I, I love retail. I think that I've also been a backstreet driver to a lot of this retail. And I think to myself, what are these people doing? Why aren't they rethinking what retail can be in the next generation? When I forgot what store reopened, it was a brand new store and it was like a big hot opening. I think it was Nordstrom's on like 57th Street. And I was yeah, like, Yeah, yeah. Columbus Circle. They they, yeah. they did that. And now it's I was like, this looks like 1980. Yeah. What's yeah. different about this? Nothing. It's four, four, yeah. you know, the four things and the hanging. It's like, I don't get it. And so, you know, I was like, what do these people do? Just wait till every Monday and hope it's gonna get better. Like, I don't understand it. And so I had this idea to open a store. And I actually, this is the same idea I had when I was in college. It was part of my like thesis thing. And I was like, what am I crazy? I'm 60 years old. I'm going to open a store. 
And my son actually said to me, well, why don't you think of it as like a pet project? And I was like, hmm, that kind of changes the whole thing. And during this time, two friends of mine um, that I've known through the food industry, Frank and Frank from Frankie's and um, Carol Gardens, called me and said, hey, you've been reading about this cannabis stuff. We would love to do this with you. I mean, they are two serious stoners. And, um, you know, we've always wanted to do something with you. And I was like, well, let me look into this. And so, I thought you said they were two serious donors. And then he said stoners. Stoners. <laughs> that is that's <laughs> probably much better for your business. Donors. That's awesome. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So they're two serious stoners. And, you know, in the tech world, I mean, because, you know, I've known everyone, if I need an answer, pretty much get one within the day. And so I called this, I emailed this woman who I haven't talked to in seven years, who I knew was part of the Cuomo administration. She helped him raise capital. She's like, oh, nice to hear you, blah, blah, blah. I said, do you know who's doing this? Like, who should I be talking to? And then the next day I hadn't heard from her. So I just emailed her again, moving it to the top of the ladder. And I like, (laughs) want to know. And so she's like, these are the lawyers that I heard you should talk to, this guy, Mitch. And I was like, okay. So I called Mitch. I emailed Mitch. I called Mitch. I mean, I did this for three days in a row. And finally, okay. they're like, okay. And they made an appointment, uh, you know, meeting with me. And he said to me, like, who are you? Right? He's like, it's like you had to talk to us, right? So I told him, you know, I just want to understand this. And they gave me the whole spiel. And I was like, wow this is fascinating. Like this is ground zero in New York. And I could marry this with my concept shop because to me, this is the future of retail, right? This is lifestyle. There's a reason every state when they open up does millions of dollars. This isn't people like, oh, we should try it. This is like, oh, wow, we can buy it. For, we can buy it like legally now. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to do this thing. And so, you know, I started on this journey and we opened up the first store, 511. And now we're working on a bunch of different things and I hope to open others. But I would say the hardest part of this business is New York State. They are holding us back from building. Tell me about this business because I know they're awarding licenses and Reminds me a lot of, I mean, when I think about it too, and in almost like the spirits business or the liquor business back in the day and mm-hmm. awarding of the licenses or distributorships. And, but explain this to me because living in New York City, I see a cannabis store now on literally like every block. Right. And I don't know how it works, what's going on, but I would imagine that obviously if you're doing things through the state that that's costing you money, that you have all these competitors, how are you dealing with a new industry, new rules? Like you said, you're dealing with New York state. I mean, here's, it's actually not a dirty little secret to most of us. Americans like vices. They like to smoke. They like drugs. They like to drink. They like to gamble and they like sex. Yes. And none of this except for alcohol has been monitored from anyone. And now the state is getting involved. And so the problem is, is that they created the office of cannabis management, which made sense, 
right? Because someone had to oversee this stuff. And I appreciate that. But it is a bureaucratic nightmare that they've built for themselves in two, three years. And no one on that entire OCM, as far as I can see, understands how to build businesses, how to create taxes for our state, and how to do the right thing. And the thing that is, I love is that they do make, they're making a commitment to people that have gotten screwed by the insane war on taxes. Thank you, Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan, okay, which is just a false narrative of a drug that they have continued to use and do research on in Israel that is so good for the medical space. I mean, all of it is so inane. And Mm. I think, you know, 10 years from now, this will be a moot conversation, but they are overthinking this. Nobody has ever overdosed on marijuana, right? And so the feds are making a fortune off of it, of course, is the biggest, the US government is the largest business in the world and they're screwing us on taxes. There's just so many messes. But the New York state is giving licenses to people like myself who partner with the nonprofit organization. Strive is the beneficiary of this, which is amazing because my whole concept anyhow was to give 15 to 20% of the EBITDA back to organizations like Strive. And then they're giving it to people that have previously been incarcerated. Great. Where are they getting their money? How are they getting real estate? People don't want to rent to people with cannabis because it's federally illegal, but somehow they're happy to rent illegally to dispensaries who are pretending that they don't have cannabis. And so here they're now out like 400 licenses. They keep doing the same thing over. It's like, once you're dumb, twice you're an idiot, three times, I don't even know what to say. Okay. And so they had a fund. They was like, oh, we're going to have a $20 million fund. I was like, do you understand $20 million? is 12 businesses, right? It's it, it's it's not like, oh, $20 million, we're going to fund 400 businesses. The security they asked for, the battery backup they asked for, the security you need at the door, the cost of the cannabis, the cost of your people. In New York State, if someone's full-time, you can't pay them under $58,000. I mean, and there's, I mean, we can go on. The banks are charging you a fortune to, to keep your cannabis money there. And so no one is thinking this through intelligently. And it's very, very, very frustrating. I mean, some days I get up and I'm so grumpy because I'm so obsessed with them. And I can tell you, I do talk to people in politics about this who are like, oh my God, how do we fix this mess? And I'm just like, lead, lead. Like, look at Michigan. What's going get, getting done in Michigan? It's a female-driven state. Those women get every day and get shit done. You go to other states, they're like, come on in. How can we make more money, mayor taxes, and create more jobs? In New York, they're just like, no, 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 no. And it makes no sense. I don't get it. If I got it, I wouldn't get so frustrated. I totally hear you. I understand it <laughs> living here. And I do agree with you on the female-led, whether it's business or states or whatever it might be, tend to be run a lot better. And I've seen that firsthand. And I'm glad that things are changing to a degree in that respect for you and for your business. More from our guest, but first, a word from our sponsors. 
Harvard Business Review is the leading destination for smart management thinking, providing professionals around the world with rigorous insight and best practices to lead themselves and their organizations more effectively and to make a positive impact. HBR.org is updated with great new business management articles daily and includes key insights to those interested in practical advice for better business management. The site also features podcasts, videos, newsletters, and more. I recently read Mark Purdy and A. Mark Williams' article, How AI Can Help Leaders Make Better Decisions Under Pressure. As AI has become one of the most discussed topics, I found their observations on the benefits and risk of using these technologies deeply insightful for entrepreneurs and new business leaders. While much of Harvard Business Review's content is available for free after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at only $10 a month. Go to www.hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code SUCCESS right now to take advantage of this great offer. Again, go to www.hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code SUCCESS to learn more about this great opportunity to help manage your career and business. And we're back. And I know your son had said, hey, look at it kind of, you know, as this pet project. But obviously- Now it's not. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's a pet project anymore. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, listen- I'm having a great time, you know, um, you know, we just restructured. I've taken over as the reins as the CEO. I'm not giving rid of that so quickly. We have a great team of people and, you know, we're going to start a delivery business. We're going to work with others to create other businesses. And, you know, I'm really interested in creating a huge business and I could do it a lot quicker because I have the bandwidth and I have the capital and I could be a leader in this space. But New York City, uh, New York State is literally capping at me and my knees. Yeah. Would you consider knowing that doing it somewhere else or do you not want to leave? It's a state by state situation. I mean, different states, different laws, different everything. I love New York State. I mean, even more where when even during COVID, we weren't here for 180 days. I still pay my taxes. Yeah. Right. I think those people that do that are disgusting. You come to this amazing city, you get to go to the theaters, you get to go to food, you get to go to culture, you get to walk the streets and see people. This place is is the best, right? Yeah. You know, why are we why why wouldn't you pay your taxes here to make it a better place? No, love it. Now, where do you see the business in terms of things, let's say take it, I don't want to go too far out, but a couple of years, I mean, this is moving pretty quickly, but where do you see it? You mentioned, I want to build a really big business. Where do you see it becoming that? Or how does it become that if you're able to get through, obviously, a lot of the legal hurdles that you're probably... Yes, yes. Well, our store is very unique, right? So we're like the Colette of cannabis, right? So we're not just selling cannabis. We're selling a lifestyle. We consider ourselves the next generation of retail. So I would say I would open two more stores. And uh, we would build a very robust uh, delivery business. We're also talking to concert promoters where uh, we, if they're interested in making us the only company that sells those uh, products at those, which Great is idea. A, a big business. And we're, 
we're even working with now designers um, and others who are interested in creating things that are only going to be at our store, you know, and these collabs will only be at our store. So I think all of that combined really can build into something very unique. I mean, Barney's, although it was a huge store, there was only one Barney's, right? And, And so I think that we can do the same thing in three stores, or maybe it's just two stores. But I do think that we are uniquely positioned to do that. I just wish that I didn't have to spend so much time figuring out how to make the OCM happy with the rules that they've created that are absolutely cockamamie. Yeah. Do you think, knowing you, I could judge by this probably just from from meeting, but is there a chance it just becomes too much of a challenge and you walk away from it? No. <laughs> Not in a million years. You know? I think I knew that answer, yeah. but I had to I ask mean, <laughs> listen, when, I was, when I graduated college, I was like, I had no idea how companies worked. I had no idea what politics is. And tr- I mean, we were very political around the kitchen table. I mean, that's all we ever talked about, but I didn't understand how politics work. And I didn't understand that when I went to work. But when I graduated, I really thought that when I got that job at Macy's, that in five years, I'd be running the entire company. I had no idea, okay? And so now all of a sudden I have this opportunity as a CEO and a builder to build a really large company. And I figure this could be the one because I don't see my, I'm only getting older by the day. And, you know, at one point, I don't see myself ever being a uh, a leisurely person, but I do see at one point slowing down to a degree that I'm not overwhelmed and can barely get off the couch by four o'clock in the afternoon. No, I I am with you as as I get older too, and being uh, several businesses, building several businesses, selling them, and and now starting a new one. The last few years, I just I'm not. I can't see myself golfing. I'm not a golfer. Like, I mean, I love playing sports and others like, but I just, I, without building something or doing something, I just feel like there's so many people who can just, Hey, I'll, I can't, I'm great friends. I can't wait to retire. So I can just sit or basically sit around and do nothing. You do not strike me as that person. Even if you said you want to slow down, I can't imagine you slowing down, especially it sounds like right now, with this industry, things are only going to be getting, I mean, bigger. Who knows what's going to happen? Right. The Banking Act could change. Federal taxes could change. I mean, there's so many things that we do not know. We all hope will change, but we have no idea when. So, you know, just in case this all goes to shit, um, I did take uh, a job as the chairman of the uh, Public Housing Community Fund, which essentially is overseas a fund that only works with NYCHA. And so we raise capital to make the lives of NYCHA residents better. And so, you know, that 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 also keeps me quite busy and it feels really good. But also there's the full circle here, which is supporting organizations that are teaching NYCHA residents hospitality and cannabis that can come and work in our stores, right? This is, those are the opportunities that interests me, which is the full circle. How do we get people that haven't had the right upbringing or opportunities to create jobs and independence and capital for them to live in our city? And, you know, that's really what I want to do with this. And so if I 
am told in the next store that I have to partner with someone, I'd be thrilled to partner with them because I know the impact that we're making. And that feels really good. Yeah, no, that's incredible. And that, and that's what, when it comes down to it, as you talk about getting older and and understanding and realizing within business, it, it, it is about more total 360 and, and being able to give back. It sounds like you have been a mentor to a lot of entrepreneurs, maybe female entrepreneurs for the, main, the, the, the most part. What is it about that that you enjoy so much? I think it's that, that innate motherhood in me. I mean, it makes me feel good when I see people who succeed and that I can be part of their journey. I mean, there's been countless people that I've just had one meeting with and they're like, you know, I listened to your advice and this is what happened. I was like, wow, who would have thought, right? I mean, that feels really good. And I think sometimes, particularly for women, women need to be validated. Yeah. Men, not so much. And so just to have the validation from another human being that they have respect for to say, you are totally on the right, going the right way, I think makes a huge difference. And I've really enjoyed it. I mean, it's really something that makes me feel good. Yeah. In the time we have left and and just for you personally, and I love how you have your backup plan, but for you personally, where do you envision this business? I know it's so hard to because of so many of the how much it's changing and and things are changing within it. But when you visualize it and you see yourself and see the business a couple of years out, what do you envision? I think the only thing I can envision at this point is if we get to the point where I want to get, what would be the best thing is that all the C people that in my C team that work for me make a lot of money. And that all the employees who, by the way, our full-time employees get full healthcare benefits and they do not have to pay into it, right? And I hope others follow that lead. I'll make more le- less money, but who cares, right? And so, and I hope that they make a lot more money, right? That they can bring to their homes and their families and help them rise up. And that to me would be the ultimate because I touch these people every day. And so that would be a really great business that also brings in people that had not had opportunities or had been previously incarcerated to come work for us and change their lives. Like that to me would be the ultimate dream. I am sure you're doing it. It's already happening and you will achieve it. And Joanne, it's been a a pleasure speaking with you today. I'm, I'm super excited now to see how things work out, especially with so much going on that, you know, especially in, in our city in New York, as you said, it's state by state, but seeing what's going on and and how it plays out, I really, really hope that you're leading the charge. And, you know, the best thing they could probably do is put you in charge of, uh, of, of that. <laughs> <laughs> but then you can't run your business, I guess there's a conflict. But in any case, I have no doubt someone like yourself is going to uh, is going to be extremely successful and not just successful from a business standpoint, but also from what you talked about and helping others and people who really don't get those opportunities 
to be successful or to have success. So I'm definitely rooting for you. I don't think you need me to, but uh, I'm excited to see where things go. I appreciate it. It's really nice talking to you. I usually don't get to talk about all this good stuff. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much. Thank you. And enjoy visiting day. I can't wait. It's going to be fun. (laughs) (laughs) And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost, and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman, that's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business, or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.